disciples, because of the effect they're having on people, are strictly warned by the Sanhedrin, shut up, that's enough. And they say, but there is salvation in no other, and we have to proclaim this name of Jesus. Uh, And uh, having been threatened, they go back to their own people, and they hold a prayer meeting. When they don't say, Lord, please take away the opposition, they say, Lord, please make us strong and help us to go on preaching the word clearly and well. Then there's the sad episode of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, uh, and, uh, which obviously affects the church. And then uh, after that, we're told that the church went on growing and many, many people came to the Lord. They used to meet in the uh, temples, uh, the colonnade. And uh, it says that uh, uh, there were many miracles performed by the apostles as well. And uh, even from the surrounding towns around Jerusalem, people were brought in. You can see the whole of Jerusalem was astir. And so our reading this time is uh, going to be again how they're hauled up before the Sanhedrin, they're beaten, they thank God that they're counted worthy to suffer, and they just go on. And uh, then the, uh, the distribution uh, of uh, food for those who are in need. So that's where we are uh, today. So we're going to start reading from Acts 5, and uh, we... Uh, We want to start reading at verse 17. Then the, this is uh, because Jerusalem is all excited. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they'd been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers didn't find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, uh, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. you imagine the embarrassment of the captain of the guard? (laughs) He's supposed to keep these prisoners safe. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain, with his officers, went and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. 
Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Judas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking ones among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith.
technology. Excuse me. It was alive and working as I walked forwards. <laughs> Here we are. Let's hope it stays away. But already there's a disturbance. There was a problem with Ananias and Sapphira, but well, that concerned them, and then the news of it spread around. But now there is a real disturbance in the church. It was not caused from the outside, not caused by the Sanhedrin or any other opposition, but it arose from within. And it had to do with the distribution of food for the needy. There were already in the church two different communities. One was the community of traditional Jews, much like the apostles. They would have spoken Aramaic, they would have used the Hebrew Bible, and they were Jewish Jews. But there was another group that were Greek-speaking Jews. They were ethnic Jews, practiced Judaism, but had largely adopted Greek language and Greek culture. And as we know, Greek was widely spoken in the Roman Empire. Of course, our New Testament was written in Greek. So it's not strange that there will be many Greek-speaking Jews, and a number of these, too, were converted. So you had these two communities in the church, if you like. And uh, as I say, they were all Jews, all following the Jewish religion, and then they had all been converted to belief in the Lord Jesus. Two communities in a much larger group of believers. Reminds me a little bit of when we lived in Wales back in the 70s. Our family lived in a little Welsh mining village. And were we different? <laughs> we were all citizens of the United Kingdom, huh? but we stood out as different by our accent, um, sometimes our language, uh, still English, our background, our experience, which rugby team we supported, all, all sorts of things. Now, we were welcomed, but we were very conscious of our identity as English people in a Welsh village. And, uh, well, we got on fine. But nevertheless, there were the two identities there. And in the church, a very human situation arose. It seems that rightly or wrongly, the Greek-speaking people felt that their widows were being somewhat neglected in the distribution of food. It's not clear that this was deliberate, quite possibly just uh, an accident, and uh, it might even be some unconscious bias in the administrators, we don't know. But what we do see is that the apostles took immediate steps to deal with the situation. The believers were asked to choose seven men who could oversee affairs. Uh, we often call them deacons, but they were much more than deacons, actually. And you remember Philip um, uh, was, uh, and Stephen were great preachers, Quite remarkable, very gifted. And the third thing that arose out of the incident was that the primacy 
of preaching the word, teaching and prayer was made clear. And there are some principles for us here. First of all, it comes out loud and clear that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are all one in him. Mm -hmm. The apostles see this problem. There is a threat to the unity of believers and they deal with it immediately. Now there are various groups amongst Christians today. The big ones, I suppose, are nationality and skin color. But there are also social differences. The remains of the class structure, if you like. Background, education, employment. Well, people tend to gravitate together very often. There are those at different stages in life, young and old. There are families and singles. Now, we're not saying that these informal groupings that happen, there's anything wrong with them. But these things must not interfere with our relationships with one another. These things must not be allowed to count in our relationship to God and one another. They are human things, quite natural, it's all right. But they must not be allowed to count. And later on, of course, the Apostle Paul faced a very similar thing. And he tells the Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We stand on the same ground before God. We all owe everything as Christians to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that principle has to come across loud and clear to us as individuals and to us as a church. And as we think of the wider church as well, very important. Whatever groupings there may be, we are all brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. Then another thing that comes out of this incident is this. Leadership and organization, structure, if you like, are very important in the church. Care needs to be taken that everyone in the church congregation is included and catered for. This particular problem in the uh, early church arose because of growth. And the believers were growing, and so believers of different types came into the church. <coughs> the apostles saw it and dealt with it. Problems are normal, even in church life. They are always there. But they need to be dealt with, not ignored. Problems ignored brings trouble for the people of God. And then the third thing, the obvious thing, if you like, evangelization, pastoral teaching and care and prayer are of prime importance. Whatever else the church does, 
They say it is not right that we should give up preaching. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This is the primary task of the church and its leaders. Social care, care in the community, help for those in need, they all have their place. They're all important. Paul reminded Titus that Christians should devote themselves to good work. These are the kind of people we should be. But of prime importance is the ministry of God's word and the spiritual care of believers. Well, time is against us this morning. We'll leave that incident and we'll go back to the beginning. You might wonder why I've gone back to front, but I felt that was probably the most helpful thing. Now we come to this matter of very determined opposition from the leaders of the Jew. We have this rapid growth, as we said, and the popularity of the apostles, and, uh, well, uh, it provokes jealousy and concern for power and position. The Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, consisted of two groups. There were the Pharisees, who were sticklers for observing the law. They were really the... Uh, they, Sorry, they were concerned for piety in every aspect. And they were indeed regarded as very pious men. They had a high reputation for piety. Then there were the Sadducees, who were very political. And uh, they really were the rulers of the people. The high priest, for instance, was a Pharisee. And so on this occasion, he calls his cronies together. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection and there was much they disagreed with, of course, in the teaching of Jesus. To them, power was all important. Jesus had faced opposition from both parties. But this particular opposition originated from the Sadducees. They were concerned for their position. They were upset and alarmed at the growing number of disciples and the influence of the apostles. Who were these men having all this influence? And so we realize that they were filled with jealousy and they have the apostles uh, arrested and put in jail until the morning. Well, you know that story. And then the next morning, they are hauled before the Sanhedrin. The high priest accuses them. He charges them with outright disobedience. How dare you disobey us? Hmm? We told you not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I think it's clear they're not concerned about whether this teaching about Jesus is true or false. Their concern is for status and power. We've had enough of this. It's got to stop. Now, we only have a summary of the apostles' reply, of course. I'm sure they said a bit more than we have in this uh, part of Acts. But they say really three things. We must obey God rather than men. Then talking as Jews to fellow Jews, they say, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed 
and he has exalted him to his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. This if forgiveness is in him, it's the next thing they say. And then they say, we are his witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit. And they're implying that they're not going to keep quiet. Well, we're witnesses to these things. So the Sadducees become very angry, angry enough to think of putting the apostles to death. This is really serious and fierce opposition by powerful men. Now they were persuaded not to kill the apostles by this Rabbi Gamaliel, who was also a member of the council. Instead, they gave them a beating, probably the 40 stripes less one, uh, very painful, told them not to speak again in the name of Jesus and let them go. (laughs) And we know the apostles' reaction. They rejoiced they were counted worthy to suffer. Has this anything to say to us today? I think it speaks to us very clearly about the authority of the Christian. Now the first time they were forbidden to preach, something comes out about the uniqueness of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven where we must be saved. This time the emphasis seems to be that the apostles do not recognize the right or authority of the chief council of the Jews to tell them what they must do. They say, in effect, God has commanded us to be witnesses and we must do it. God's command takes precedent over what you want. We must obey God rather than men. Now remember, they were saying this to the leaders of the nation. There could be no authority greater than God's, they say. This has always been the Christian's position. Both Peter and Paul tell us that as Christians we should be good citizens. We should obey the law. We should not be violent. We should honor the law. We should respect other people. We should also be noticed for our integrity, for our good lives, our positive contribution to society. New Testament teaches all of these things. It's important. But what Christians believe and what they teach is not optional. We don't choose from personal prejudice or inherited tradition. Christians take God at his word. We must obey God. Even if we suffer for it, as the apostles did then in the beating, the martyrs, remember there was uh, James... Stephen, there were unnamed martyrs at this time, if we read the book. The long history of Christian martyrs. Christians' authority is God and his word. It counts above everything else. If we look at the world situation, 
we see that in many parts Christians are suffering simply because they're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Discrimination, loss of job, kicked out of their family, sometimes losing wife and children, education difficulties, problems over medical treatment, all sorts of things. Then there is overt persecution, violence, imprisonment, false accusation. There are in some countries today serious attempts to stamp out Christianity altogether. It's there. Open Doors has a chart of the top 50 countries where there is persecution of believers. It's not exhaustive. There are other countries. They've just given you the top 50. And Christians continue to follow the example of the apostles which is set here. And this should affect our prayers and our giving. We have brothers and sisters that are suffering, some of them very severely, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Part of our family. Believers are all one in Christ Jesus. And then too, under this heading of the authority of the Christian, we need to note some views that are being expressed in the United Kingdom. Under the guise of political correctness, Christianity is gradually being squeezed out of public life. In effect, they say, you be a Christian, but don't involve other people. Don't offend other people by telling them what you believe or what the Bible says. And there are examples of those in authority being so afraid of appearing politically incorrect that a Christian has been unjustly dismissed. <laughs> this is in our country. We don't want you talking about your faith to others, they say. What does the New Testament say? It says, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Do it with gentleness and respect. But this is what you should do. There is a danger today that if you differ from the currently accepted ideas of morality and equality, you will be described as an extremist, a man or woman of hate. You may not lose your home, but some people will shun you and mock you and even hate you. You just have to look online and you'll see it. You may even become a victim of the vitriol poured out on some social media sites. Just think of what happened to Tim Farron in his brief time as leader of the Liberal Party. Mm -hmm. 
to try and avoid what they call extremism and things contrary to British values and uh, some of our leaders want to restrict what we teach our children. Ofsted's chief inspector of schools in a speech recently seemed to target beliefs based on the Bible and she said that she would like to control not only private and unofficial schools, she would like to control Sunday schools as well. She's not alone in this view. Nothing should undermine what the government considers to be British values and equality law. Will our government really lay down what Christians teach their children? Well, their first proposal has been abandoned. That was the one that Ofsted's uh, leader um, uh, was talking to. But there are other moves to see if the same thing could be brought about within existing legislation. Now, as Christians, we should pray that these ideas will not take hold. Of course, not everybody agrees with them but there are very influential people that are pushing for them. As Christians, we put God and his word first in everything. And a test may come to us as believers sooner than we expect. I think that question of authority stands very clearly in this story. Now, just a few minutes before I sit down, I want to talk about Gamaliel and his advice. The Sadducees started this whole affair, but they needed the support of the Pharisees for the Sanhedrin really to be able to legislate. So they uh, want the Pharisee party in on it. Pharisees were not quite so aggressive and uh, some of them might even have admired the piety of the apostles, these new Christians. Gamaliel was a famous rabbi, a moderate man. Actually, he taught the apostle Paul before he was converted. And Gamaliel's advice to them was this. Well, you never know God might be in this. You don't want to be fighting against God, do you? Look, uh, movements have come to nothing in the past. And he, he quotes a couple. Huh? They look uh, a bit threatening, but they came to nothing. My advice to you, he said, is wait and see what happens. Well, they did that partly, but they still beat the apostles, as we know. But was his advice good? Hmm? Well, it certainly saved the apostles' lives. What can we say about him? He was obviously impressed by the apostles and what was going on. If he hadn't been impressed, he wouldn't have given this advice. He had a feeling that something might be there. But he won't commit himself. He's on the fence. Is he right? Well, just think a moment. 
these Jewish leaders had heard John the Baptist. They'd had the teaching of Jesus. And he had even answered their trick questions. They knew all about all the miracles that he had done. It's one of the things that worried them. Jesus said on one occasion, If you don't believe my words, believe me for the miracle's sake. They're pointing to who I am. These Pharisees also saw, uh, these Sanhedrin men also saw many people being converted. Hmm. Many leaders did believe, John's Gospel tell us, although they kept quiet about it, they didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue. There was an occasion when the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked for a sign. Give us a sign, they said. And so Jesus replied, the only other sign you're going to get besides what I say and what I do is the sign of Jonah. Three days in the whale of the fish, but belly of the fish. The resurrection. That's the only other sign you're going to get. And he says to them, you need to repent, just like the people of Nineveh repented when Jonah went to them. You're going to have that sign. And a bit later, the Sadducees came with the Pharisees again and asked for another sign. They got the same answer. Look for the resurrection. And of course, they got the sign and then tried to hide it. I think we have to say that Gamaliel had enough evidence to be a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ. Nicodemus came to be a believer. Joseph of Arimathea came to be a believer, both leaders of the Jews. Gamaliel never did. He remained outside of the kingdom. Was the price too high for him? Was he afraid of being thrown out of the Sanhedrin and uh, losing his position of respect? Well, we don't know. But we do know he had the evidence. He had the words of Jesus. He had the miracles of Jesus. He had the resurrection. And he refused to believe it. The consequence was he was not in the kingdom of God. In many congregations, church congregations, there are one or two Gamaliels. You're here because you believe this is something, there is something in Christianity. You, you won't dismiss it. There's something here. Hmm? Something impresses you. These Christians might be right. Maybe you come because you're drawn by friendship or because your spouse or a partner is a Christian. You're not against, but you're neutral. You're just waiting to see. You, you won't commit yourself. If that happens to be you, you are outside the kingdom of God. 
you have the words of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the evidence of his resurrection. You have the testimony of Christians right down through the ages. What more do you want? This is the time to commit yourself. Go to Jesus as the one who died for your sins, that they might be forgiven. Go to him who can lead you to God the Father. Go to him who gives us the right to be called the children of God. Commit yourself to him who is able to change your life. Don't sit on the fence. Don't worry about what people might think. Who might write you off? Whose circle you'll no longer have a place in? Turn away from all that you know displeases God. Ask him to receive you for the sake of Jesus. Come into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Don't be a Gamaliel. Gamaliel. 